Hello, everyone. I'm Kevin Winder, and thanks for tuning in to another podcast of Beyond Everything Radio. And as always, I have a question for you. How do teens become so focused on themselves, and why are so many of them unmotivated? In today's podcast and post, we continue our series on parenting teens with a look at the selfish parent. Now, if something in you is resisting this post because you fear it will simply be a blame game, then you definitely need to hear this. Join me now as we deconstruct some of the ways our own selfishness as parents is transmitted into the behaviors of our teens which frustrate us the most. And this reveals the path to fix many of our problems. Hello, everybody, and thank you so much for coming back to yet another podcast of Beyond Everything Radio. I am your host. My name is Kevin Winder, and I am super glad that you are here, and you are brave. You came back to episode six of our Parenting Teens series. Um, If you're just joining us, we are in this series where I'm talking about parenting teens, and I know that it has felt a little uncomfortable. I've had some comments. Hey, Kev, you're being a little hard on parents. Um, Not everything is our fault. You know, the teens make choices themselves, which make the problems harder. You know, they've got other influences in their life like school and the media and everything else and a lot of friends who have zero wisdom. So, yes, parents, I sympathize with you. Please, I hear you. Um, Today isn't going to get any better. (laughs) Um, Yes, Thanks for joining. Please stick with this. Hear the heart that comes through. I know I tend to be kind of critical sounding. Maybe that's my voice, my tone. I don't mean it that way. I truly am passionate about this. I I love parenting. I love teens. I always have. I started out my life trying to be a youth pastor. I did that for 20 years. I've always worked with teens. I've had kids. I've raised teens. And now I coach teens on a mountain bike team. So yeah, I am in this, folks. I, I live it with you. I, I, I share this with you. And this is not just a beatdown. This is a tool to help you see beneath the surface. Uh, and I know that it, it hits that sore spot. But that's the sore spot that is going to open up the healing and the change that you really want. Just a therapy session that gives you a parenting trick or technique isn't all you need. And I am going to offer some stuff that I've done just sharing with you today that might open up some ideas for you. And then later in the series, I am definitely going to give tips and pointers. But please, folks, we have to peel the onion all the way back first. And that's what this is about. This is podcast number 373. It's part six of our Parenting Teen series, and I call it The Selfish Parent. (laughs) I know, I get it. Yippee, this is the episode where you hold parents responsible for all their teens' behaviors and life choices. (laughs) I get it. It doesn't seem fair. And I get that all kids and teens, they're all different. The personalities are different. Your situations are different. I know some of you are single parents. Some of you are dealing with huge financial struggles. 
Some of you are dealing with deep emotional, chemical problems, relationship problems. All kinds of things are in this mix. It's multidimensional. I see that. I understand that. What I'm inviting you here is to be self-aware and take a serious, sobering look at yourself and your behavior and where it comes from and where it started and how it plays into this thing that's called a problem <laughs> or an issue or something that is in your face every day as demonstrated through the life of your teen. And I get it. Parents, we are not entirely responsible. But parents, we are primarily responsible. So the theme in this series is that change starts with us. Our love for our young people and our willingness to honestly appraise our contribution to the problem is required. The tone-deaf parent who won't take any ownership, I can almost guarantee has really harsh difficulties with their teen. I know teens contribute their fair share of pain and frustration and confusion. I get all that. But if we are truly seeking healing, lasting, lifelong healing in these dynamic displays, which we are seeing, then we as parents, as the adults, as the leaders, it's incumbent upon us to close the gap between us and our teen. It is not up to them to close the gap. We have to initiate the change as the leader, as the adult. We can't just wait for them to fix it. It's not within them to do so. After all, teen problems are mostly parenting decisions that have started in their young children. And the issues that you saw in your young children are problems of your parenting decisions when they were babies. And baby problems are deficiencies in your parenting philosophies. So if you really want to get behind the underlying philosophy of parenting, I invite you to, to review my series called The Power of Parenting. And I have a link in my, uh, my blog, Thrive in Exile, to that. Now, selfishness is the plight of all humanity, of all ages, in all times, in all economic situations, in all countries, lands, and religions. Selfishness, we are just inherently self-centered as people. And each person makes decisions primarily based upon what's in it for him or herself. Okay, None of us escape this. This is our default mode. You know, a crying baby, a toddler who can only know what they want is just a full display of selfish self-centeredness. And it's by design. And a selfish teen, these are all basically running around on our shared standard operating software. But there's something unique about a teenager that is not you that is not shared in the toddler who's standing in front of you in front of the TV. You know, that's always the example. They don't realize they're blocking the view of others when they just go stand in front of the TV. They're not self-aware in that way yet. But during adolescence, the brain changes. 
and it starts to enter the stage called formal operations. And formal operations is where the brain begins to think critically. This is the time when teens become highly self-reflective and self-aware and obviously self-conscious. That's why parody with their peers, looking the same, acting the same, sounding the same, doing the same things becomes so vital because they, that standing out, that being different is so hard. And now being different is kind of the cool thing. Um, and now everybody is different, which makes them all the same. See, so this is part of the development process. And it's really important that as this, we see this developing, you consider the impact on others, right? And how your teen is seeing their relationship to others. It's important. And this is when teens critically examine their parents by comparing you <laughs> to everybody else. They're, they're gauging their parents next to their friends' parents. Oh, my parents are way meaner, stricter, harsher than you. Oh, my parents are way nicer than those parents. Oh, my gosh. You know, uh, that's the kind of level that it's at. And one is just simply a good, bad assessment. The other is they start de delving into that. My parents would never do that for me. Why? Like these kinds of self-critical, self-examining, examining life examining questions are part of formal operations. And this is why they start to develop this kind of lippy, critical uh, thing. And they see right through all of the stuff and they poke it with the pin and make parents very uncomfortable. Society and the world at large has a very humbling way of dealing with people, or at least it used to, who were disproportionately proud. Like you can either get proud by being cocky or you know, by going the other direction. But like if you get like disproportionately too big for your britches, life kind of has a series of beatdowns and disappointments. We used to call these rites of passages where you realize you aren't that great. But nowadays we seem to live in a world where so many people grow up in environments where they are disproportionately praised and they end up on America's Got Talent trying to sing and Literally nobody in their life who loved them told them they do not have the ability to sing. Like it's never, like no one's ever told them that. So they just, in their heart, they want to sing, but they literally can't. So those harsh realities are usually just kind of pummeled into people. And usually parents are training their teens to kind of consider those realities and trying to make warnings about, hey, this is going to happen if you don't get your stuff together. But these warnings don't go far enough. And then parents feel like, well, I tell them, but they don't listen. Ironically, sometimes the most proud and egotistical people rise to the top of their game. And it just validates their prideful behavior. Sometimes the world just makes the proud worse. But to truly get to the heart of this pride this overinflated sense of self, the selfishness, we have to really discern and deal with it spiritually. And the word in the Bible for the soul or the inner self is called the suke, and it's where we get our word psychology. So you have to really do kind of some soul work. You have to really dive into what's behind the thing, behind the thing, inside. And without this kind of soul work, 
it's really easy for parents to error too far on either side. So let me ask you, parents, do you have a family that really is introspective and is dealing and looking and talking and examining the inner workings of your life? Are you getting under stuff? That's soul work. Do you have a spiritual capacity to see the deeper things or is it surface level? Because if you're too lenient and the selfish teen becomes cocky and entitled, you've really erred on this issue of selfishness. If you're too strict and they become full of self-doubt and talk themselves out of opportunities, you've erred on the other side of selfishness. Selfishness is caught, not taught. It's part of our natural thing, so it's just easy to just go with the flow and get worse and worse. It's like a river. You're just going to jump in and you're going with it until something empowers you to turn around and swim upstream. Like there has to be a counter effort, a balance to this, or else it's a lost cause in every one of us. The opposite is also true when learning to put others first. You see, so if you're trying to learn, that's the counterbalance. Like you have to, that is caught as well as taught. Selfishness is short-term gain followed by a lifelong diminishment of your options. Selflessness is a loss in the short term, but germinates opportunity and protections in the long term. Like you, if you don't get that watershed difference, your parenting will come up short. The bend of our world is toward selfishness. Okay, you know that, right? You get that, parents, right? So if parents don't have this spiritual, the suke, the soul work, this awareness to self-correct, you know, to work against the self-focus in action, to take on a child's selfishness as it's happening, we will invariably train our kids to be selfish. And parents are keen to see our teenagers focusing on themselves. Like we're always pointing it out. Gosh, all they want to do is just be comfortable or lazy or watch TV or be entertained or be with their friends. They never want to do the dishes or help out or do the mowing or do whatever. Like there's always about them, you know. But we often struggle to see how our teens learned that from ourselves. So this post is really showing you how to connect these dots. And I know it might sting a bit. Um... But you got to go there if you want to fix the pattern, all right? So let me just kind of break this down if I can. It's sort of counterintuitive, and I'm going to try and provide some examples, not deep ones here. But think through like the common endeavor of trying to teach your teen the value of a dollar. Many parents go through this. They're like, man, they just don't even appreciate how hard it is to get that $20 that they just blew at the ice cream store or whatever. And you don't want to, nobody wants their teen to become entitled. Like we've all seen Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. None of us want to raise the Veruca Salt, right? The character who's, daddy, I want an Oompa Loompa or whatever, right? You just, you don't want that entitled kid and the world is full of entitlements in young people. And now there's this effort to, hey, I don't want that. So parents, 
believe that making a teen work for things is preferable to simply giving them what they want. That's a natural conclusion. It's not entirely wrong, but it's not actually, it doesn't actually work the way we think it does. So when you do that, when you say, I'm going to make my teen work for everything, uh, I'm not giving to just give them anything, right? I'm going to teach them hard work and uh, all that. Yeah, okay. Well, by doing that, parents place the economic burden of advancing in sports or hobbies or interests onto their teens. And all the while believing that they're instilling this work ethic. Well, okay, well, hey, you want new skis? Great. Save up for them, son. Oh, you want a race bike? Good. You better start saving. You know, I am a coach of a mountain bike team. I see this all the time. Oh, I really want to get a new bike. You know, well, the parents will get them an okay bike, but it will not be a competitive bike. And then for the teen to start saving, they will graduate high school long before they ever could afford a competitive bike. So what do you think is happening in the suke, in the psychology, in the soul, in the inner self of the person? How are they shaping this and their formal operations, right? By placing the economic burden of advancing in their sport or their hobby, their interests onto the teens, the teen cannot realistically obtain what they desire on their own. Or it takes way too long to realize that they, you know, that, and then the parent is really unwilling to help them in that situation. This has the opposite effect. You see, the teen is basically forced to abandon their interests or trade that big dream in on something far less. They, they settle. They underhope, right? They forfeit their hopes. And this is the death knell to a lasting work ethic. You're actually training your teen to not perform when you can't get behind them. Now, I get there's economic realities here. You may not be able to afford the race bike, even if you wanted to give them, but the teen will know when you come alongside and do the best that you possibly can. Not a parent say this to me. I do the best I can for my kids. Uh, but that's just a saying that you tell yourself. It's not actually the truth. You, that parents who don't see that one have a whole host of problems with their kids. Okay. Um, if a child is forced to abandon their own hopes because they lack the means, the time, the investment of the parents to help them close those gaps, but then they see the parents in their own economic freedom and a parent is thinking, hey, I'm going to show them what hard work is like and how it's good to enjoy this. So like I work hard, I go to work every day, see son. Now I get to enjoy these new skis, my new bike, my new golf clubs, my trip, my whatever. And you can get the same too if you just go to work and do all that stuff too. What's your, what you're actually doing is introducing a deep-seated resentment against you because there's no teen that has the economic power of their parents. So it's, isn't the unmotivated teen, the one who just sits and watches video games with Cheetos fingers, actually the, another form of entitlement? I mean, think about that. See, in these scenarios, parents are often unable to see that their own selfishness is hiding behind what they thought is a noble lesson in life. 
And then when the parents use their economic power to get the new stuff, right, uh, and the teen has to forfeit their opportunities at the same time because they can't afford to go to the next level, this resentment germinates inwardly and outwardly. What's anger turned inward? Yeah, psychology will call that depression. So later when a teen gives up on being on something because they're discouraged easily, the parents are confused and they say, I didn't raise him or her to be like this. But in fact, we did. You see, a teen who makes decisions for life based upon their own economic capacity is learning how to settle rather than strive. You're demotivating them. And this is one of the ways parents of all incomes actually instill poverty cycles into their children. They erode confidence. They develop futility into their kids. You, you create a dependent on the state. Instead of creating a maker in the world, you've created a taker in the world. So what can we do? I mean, the other option of just giving them everything they want obviously is not the solution, and I agree. So if there's two ditches in the road, how do we drive? Well, parenting, as you know, is about sacrifice. And I think every parent kind of understands this at some levels. Parents must lay down their lives for their kids. And when a parent says, I do everything for my kids or, I, you know, I, whatever, I, I give them the best that I can, most parents don't really understand the level of sacrifice. Now, some parents sacrifice at an inspirational level and others simply just don't get it. I don't know where you fall on that continuum, but it's somewhere on there. And it starts early. And if selfishness is not corrected in the heart of the parent, usually with a baby, the pathos of selfishness will follow their parenting decisions like a shadow that's cast on the family. A selfish parent who begins selfish will end selfish, and all of the repercussions of those decisions are going to come to display in their children. And a baby arriving on the scene, as you know, parents, either eradicates our selfishness in love because it's absolutely the death of the self and what you want for the sake of the other, or it deepens our selfishness as we form resentments against our own baby. And you see this all the time, mothers and dads tapping out, we're going back to work, we're just daycare and this kid, we're going to farm this baby off to people who don't love it because it's so much easier than to go to work than to raise a child. I mean, it happens all the time. Oh, your career, you know, that's the most important thing in your life. You know, we believe all that stuff. So starting with our children, which is a good lens, I invite you parents to do this exercise and really examine yourself to see if selfishness is behind this so-called economic decision. Do you really need both parents to work? Well, we have to if we have to pay for our house. Well, do you need that big house? Do you need to live in that neighborhood? Do you need to drive those cars with those car payments? Is a career or a house or all of that? The location, is it really that important? Is it more important to you than your responsibility to be present and available as a parent, as a loving parent? Like, who in the world will love our children like we do? 
Do we choose work over parenting because it's easier, less boring? How do we justify all this to ourselves? You have to go do the soul work. Further, how are we justifying these decisions to our kids later? You, know, you, you want us to pay for this house. You want your stuff. You want your lessons. You want this, la, 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 la. Well, then that's what you get, kids. It's the only uh, minority of situations are such that a parent has no other choice. That does happen, and I, I sympathize with you if you're a single parent or have a situation that requires it, if you're at the very bottom of the economic food chain because of other decisions that you've made. This is all part of it, right? The chain of decisions impacts the future. Like if you don't like your present, change your decisions now and your future will be different. I mean, there's no rocket science here. If a parent, if we own up to the fact that we are choosing something else over our children, you have to see that area where you're doing that. And then and only then will we be able to connect the dots to the disconnect that we're feeling with our teens. Why aren't they listening? Why don't they hear you when you talk? Why don't they take your advice? Why do they disrespect you, ignore you? Why do they disobey you? Why are they pressing all your buttons? Teens are often resented by their parents. And parents are intentionally punitive or undermining. They finally ask to do the one thing. The parent's like, fine, I'm going to get back at you for that. Now, remember that thing you did? Well, that's why I'm saying no, right? It's like just there's this whole dynamic there that we have to mine out of ourself. Uh, I'm, I know that parents seek to duck responsibility. It's just part of our human nature. But that pattern has to be traced all the way back to infancy. We have to go all the way back and deconstruct our whole parenting to find some of these problems in our teens. A teenage problem is usually a decade old or more, but it doesn't mean it's unrepairable. Now, where do you suppose our teens learned how to prioritize their friends or their video games and everything else above their family? Where do you think? Well, if we truly want to heal the relationships with our teens, if it's even possible at this point, which I believe some measure of it can be, then it begins by sacrificing our lives, our sacrificing our incomes, sacrificing our comfort, our ego, our desires for the sake of our teens. See, once they see our sacrifice, then respect is possible. Without that, respect is not usually possible. And it, once it's really lost, it's very challenging to rebuild it without a huge display of sacrifice. And so long as teens perceive that parents are selfish, they will remain in competition with their parents for their own needs, right? So when the parent is selfish and withholds something from the kids, simply be not by design or intention, but because they're just focused on themselves, the teen has to compete with the parents for their needs and they're forced to find support elsewhere. So they immediately seek outside the home something else, help, support, friends, people, and those become primary feeders for what validates and helps them. And therefore, the parent is no longer the primary influence. You've forfeited it. 
See, if a house, cars, hobbies, a parent's new romantic interest because everybody's divorced now and they just get married or start dating other people, now you've got all these other relationship dynamics into the family. If all that stuff becomes the priority, if all that stuff is first to parents, how can we blame a teen for later disregarding his or her parents and their advice? Like, doesn't that just seem to make sense? So... How is a parent to instill wisdom into a child who's given the state's propaganda machine, right? You know what I mean? When I say that, I'm talking about school. Like, how are you going to instill wisdom into a child who, to whom you've given to the state for eight or ten hours a day where the worst advice of their peers is going to influence them all day long, and then you have this propaganda machine that's driving all these other things into their head, reshaping the way they see the world, reshaping the way they look at you. I mean, think twice before dismissing the option of online school, folks. That socialization, which you think parents, which parents so often think is so important, is ultimately a parenting decision. And what, you, what happens when we send our kids to public school is we normalize pathology. We call evil good and good evil. And no wonder our kids are confused because the parents are so confused they can't lead them out of that one. And online school, honestly, folks, was the best thing for our family. Now, the strategy I use with my teens, and I'm just going to share this, and I know it's getting a little beyond our usual time, but I think the next few minutes I hopefully can help you kind of see how to balance between the two ditches. You don't want to just give your kids everything, and you don't want to just not give them anything. So what I did is to develop the confidence and work ethic in my young people is this. We know that our children have many interests. Usually one of them stands out beyond the others when they're young. So... You know, we, we have to find that thing that they're interested in and then come alongside and show them how in everything you can go deeper with it. You can find mastery in anything. But you start with that thing that they're sort of interested in. So my kids were interested in different things and my son was interested in Legos and all those kind of stuff as a young kid. And then later he took an interest in airplanes. I'm not an airplane guy. But, you know, he got a little remote control airplane and he started flying it. And, of course, it crashed and broke. Um, now, most parents might buy a cheap plane or help them get started if that was their interest. But then when the plane crashes or needs repair, uh, they leave it to the kids to either work it off or fix it themselves, which never really works. They don't have the glue, the things they need to make it work. The servo needs to be replaced. The wheels bent. They need, you know, like all those things are kind of a pain for a parent to restore. And sometimes it's costly or, you know, it's complicated. And so it just kind of gets shoved off like, yeah, don't worry. You're not really into planes anyway. It was fun, but, you know, those things are cheap, blah, blah, blah. And what you're doing is you're pulling back. You're, you're, you're letting the interest die because the child lacks the economic power to overcome the challenges that are inherent in all endeavors. If you want to teach them music, you're not gonna, they're not going to become really good on a cheap ukulele. You know, as my son became more skilled, I invested in more supplies and tools and parts converting his bedroom ultimately into a workshop so that his whole space could be all about building planes. And I became this necessary part of the supply chain 
so that it was ready for him to capitalize on the success if he sought to possess it. So I matched his investment with another to keep it to keep him going deeper with something, to find that mastery. And of course, as they learn, you know, you know how many planes we've crashed, how many parts we've had to build over the years? I mean, we're talking near, probably a hundred planes. And, but now the, the things that he makes take a year and they're amazing. And he's focused and he's learned that there's countless little steps to making something amazing. You know, this has happened with my daughter and her business endeavors. She's always entrepreneurial. We come alongside her. What do you want to do? You want to start a business? Great. Let's help you get all the things you need to have a business. And then we'd show her and teach her. And she got into the Young Entrepreneurials Association. I mean, she did all these things. Like, you come alongside them with their thing. Don't push your thing on them. Come alongside and support their thing. It really makes a difference. And support doesn't have to be money. It just, it does mean time. It does mean lots of communication. And this is where everything gets better. But think of all the time you get with your kids and how much you get to learn who they are and how much respect you gain for them and how they feel when they see your respect and how they feel when they accomplish something. It's, it's amazing. So in these simple examples, I hope I can show you how to not overdo it or underdo it, but you have to totally do it in some ways. Like you're, you're coming along to incentivize that motivation. Then they take that motivation, they get to that next level, and then they receive the benefit and the self-confidence. You see, self-confidence only comes from accomplishment. An accomplishment, folks, is not a high score on a video game. That is not an accomplishment. Self-confidence comes from a parent giving their kids a path to accomplish something and then helping them to accomplish it. Not doing it for them, not giving it to them, but helping create an environment so that it's possible. It's not coming from you praising your kids and just saying, oh, you're a confident kid. No, you're not. That's, that's what's got us into this place, all the 80s psychobabble. Accomplishments come from a lot of work and steady progress towards something. Instead of making our kids entirely responsible for accomplishing something, we made them responsible for the work. And we were responsible for providing what was needed for success. You see, a work ethic is a motivation issue. A motivation issue is a belief system that's trained by the parents. Do you see how soul work now connects the dots? Not only does this simple tweet create endless opportunities to connect and stay involved with our teens, but they inherently develop a work ethic because our parental inputs supplement the motivation along the way and keep it going. We're filling up that tire with air so it keeps rolling. Over time, they learn how success comes not by one single person. Like if you train your kid to be successful in and of themselves alone, you created a complete monster in our society. But success comes by those around us, helping us along the way as we contribute our part. We don't give them the time, then they won't give it back to us either. And so folks, you know, I got a couple last thoughts as we close this out. These life passions that are part of our children it's super tempting as parents to leverage their hobby, their endeavor, their toy, their whatever possession as a threat 
or a bribe for good behavior. I see this in coaching too. Like they want their kids so bad to be involved in something, but they're just kind of motivated. So the parent will go out and overbuy a bike way too good for the kid. And that hoping that that will motivate them in their behavior. Well, they were partially right. Getting a, a, an improvement bike will give a measure of motivation, but it's better to get the bike slightly higher than their skill and will, right? So they grow into it. Then when they outgrow it, they see in themselves their own progress and then seek the next thing. This is not just true for mountain biking, it's everything. But these hobbies endeavors become the check engine lights, folks. Like when your teen starts going off the rails, the first thing that goes off the rails are these hobbies and engagements. As soon as they check out of the sport or their thing and they go into this other thing, you immediately know as a parent, that's a check engine light, something's up. When they lose that motivation uh, or it lacks, it comes from inside our teens at that soul level too, not from the outside. And parents provide the environment which either kills motivation or fuels it. The more connected you are, the more you can make a mid-course adjustment immediately as it needs there. That's the coaching role of a parent. It just takes self-awareness and a willingness to sacrifice, turn off your life and focus on your kids for a minute. And when a parent can't be bothered, their kids will eventually not want to be bothered either. The only motivation a teen will know is which their own selfishness induces in that case. Do you understand that? Like when a parent is disengaged and can't be bothered, then the only thing a teen will be motivated to do is to leave or find help elsewhere. That's not just a parenting failure. That's a societal failure. And so if you're in the midst of all of this, and you realize there, there are issues. It's never too late to learn humility and try again. Even if the damage is done, even if it feels like the course is already set, the emptying of your own pride and selfishness as a parent in humility can help any ship regain its true north. And sometimes our struggles are really just benevolent interruptions. They are check engine lights to say focus here pay attention change your oil which help us find our way back to each other that argument that strife is pain saying attend to this wound the sole work of finding and rooting out our selfishness as parents is precisely how we bring healing to our families and change the behaviors of our teens which concern us the most. God bless you in your journey.